Welcome to Laces Out, an NFL podcast that goes over everything football. Here to talk all things football is your host Suhaib. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of this show. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another episode of Laces Out. I am your host, Sohaib, and today I got another exciting show lined up for you guys. In this episode, I will be recapping what was an exciting week four. I will be giving my key takeaways from each game. Going um, After that, I will be giving my studs and duds of the week, giving out you know, key performers, and basically recognizing the players that deserve recognition, and then going over players that did not do so well on the opposite end of the spectrum. And then I will wrap it all up with a quick look ahead to the Thursday Night Football matchup between the Colts and the Broncos. But before we begin, I just wanted to remind everyone that Laces Out is an NFL podcast that goes over everything football, from takes, analysis, reactions, to predictions, whatever, anything football related. We cover it here on Laces Out. So if, if you're a football fan, this is the place to be. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast at laces out we are also available on instagram and twitter as well at laces out nfl on instagram at laces out nfl pod on twitter all right enough of the intro let's get right into it um before we get into key takeaways of the game let's do a quick injury roundup so the biggest injury news coming out of the week was running back javante williams he is out for the season with a torn acl and lcl um just really really unfortunate news for a guy that was you know performing considerably well and it's really unfortunate to see a guy like a young player like Javante Williams go down with such a brutal injury. I am hoping for a speedy recovery for him. And then moving on, Ron, Randy Gregory for the Denver Broncos. The injuries issues just get worse in Denver. He is out for two to six weeks after undergoing arthroscopic knee surgery. Also wishing him a speedy recovery and wishing all these players that are that I will be listing a speedy and quick recovery. Lewis Seen, the safety out of Minnesota, has suffered a compound fracture. He will remain in London for the time being, and he will be having his surgery out in London as well. Moving on to the next player, Jonathan Taylor has an ankle injury. He is legit as 50-50 as it gets. He might miss the Thursday game. He might play. We really don't know, but that is something to monitor. Daniel Jones is another player with an ankle injury. He is day-to-day, according to Brian Dable. Tyrod Taylor has a concussion injury, so if you're keeping count, those are the two Giants quarterbacks. And then Tua Tagovailoa has been officially ruled out for Week 5. That is it for the injury roundup. Um, I am, again, wishing a speedy recovery for all these players mentioned and for all the players that were hurt this past week. Alright, starting us off, we'll start off with the London game. Minnesota Vikings win a close one against the New Orleans Saints 28-25. The double doing strikes again in the NFC North. I find it kind of ironic that the game was decided by kicks, considering it was in London. And the MVP of the game, of course, has to go to Greg Joseph, right? Because, you know, it's a soccer place. And, you know, it was the name of the game is the name of the game is, you know, kicks out in London. But no, seriously, though, Justin Jefferson, he deserves the MVP of this match. You know, the man just absolutely balled out 10 catches for 147 yards and a rushing touchdown. It's a good bounce back game for him after struggling the past two weeks. People were starting to raise question marks around his ability to be a number one receiver in the league. And not not a wide receiver one, but like, you know, being the best receiver overall. And, you know, he kind of kind of put those doubts to rest as he solidified himself amongst the top receivers in the game. 
having an absolute crazy game against a, he did it against a great corner too in Marshawn Lattimore so it's not like you know just a fluke against a you know random cornerback he did it against one of the best in Marshawn Lattimore and you know what they say in order to be the best you got to beat the best and that is what Justin Jefferson did and then overall although they're like three and one I'm still not fully sold on the Vikings they almost lost to a Lions team which we have seen their defense has struggled immensely and they only scored 28 points the entire game and then they barely beat a banged-up Saints, who, mind you, were missing their quarterback one and James Winston, their running back one and Alvin Kamara, and their wide receiver one and Michael Thomas. So they were down a considerable amount, and the fact that it was still close, I'm not fully convinced on this Vikings team. And after a week one which in which we saw, you know, Vikings looking like a, a really solid team, it's really just, it hasn't been as convincing. However, if you want to take something like, you know, some positives out of this, Minnesota is winning games when they're not at their best. And as a Minnesota fan, that can only feel as good. You can only you can feel good about that, knowing that even when they're not at their best, they're finding ways to win the games. And ultimately that's what good teams do. However, if they want to contend and you know be be contenders in this NFC North, which is in my opinion wide open, they gotta perform they gotta start performing better and they gotta put in more consistent performances as the season progresses. All right, moving on to the next game, Seattle Seahawks versus the Detroit Lions. Seattle heads into Ford Field, gets their second win of the season, beats the Detroit Lions 48-45 in a game in which defense was practically non-existent. However, I just got to give some shout-outs to a few players. Uh, Geno Smith, 23 for 30, 320 yards, two touchdowns. A few stats that, you know, um, my Seahawks friend wanted me to mention in here. I'm going to mention it right now. Geno Smith is the only QB with a 75% completion percentage, at least 1,000 yards, and at least 5 touchdowns this season. Elite company when it's only yourself. And then he is also he also has a 77.3% completion percentage through 4 games, which is the highest completion percentage by QB in the first 4 games of a season in NFL history with a minimum of 125 pass attempts. So that's some pretty elite company if you ask me. And then you take a look at Geno Smith's performances the past, the past 4 weeks. He has been relatively solid. You know, he wasn't he hasn't been all that. Yeah, I get he had a great game against the Detroit Lions defense. However, he hasn't he hasn't really done done anything over the top. However, he hasn't really done anything, you know, to make him to make him like a non-starter in the NFL. He's done relatively solid. He's done what the Seahawks needed him to do. He's managed games well. And ultimately, it's just this is what you're gonna get out of Geno. That's the thing. Like you're not gonna get anything better. I don't see a way in which he improves. However, you're just going to get a solid starting QB. And if you're Seattle, you really can't complain. And, you know, he's he's playing better than Russell Wilson so far. But, hey, I just got to give kudos to Geno Smith. Another player who had himself a game was Rashad Penny. 17 rushes, 151 yards, and two touchdowns. The man nearly averaged a first down per carry, 8.9 yards. You know, shall I say more? The man had himself a day, and this is the Rashad Penny we expected heading into the season. And then on the other side of the ball, the Lions absolutely had no answer on the defensive end for the two players I mentioned above and DK Metcalf as he had a field day. And this kind of was reminiscent to the game they had last year when the Detroit Lions defense really couldn't stop the Seattle Seahawks offense. And it was just, you know, it's just really bad. And then it's crazy to think that the Lions average nearly 35 points per game and yet they're still one and three. You know, it really raises the question, do you, do you is it time to question Aaron Glenn? Me personally? Probably not. Yeah, I know. It's like this is <laughs> this has been historically one of the worst defenses, if not the worst defense in the history of the NFL. However, you got to look at the players he's the cards he's dealt. You know, he's missing his top safety in Tracy Walker. He's missing a, you know a few key guys along the defensive line, and ultimately he's playing guys that aren't really NFL starters. 
So to really blame Aaron Glenn, I can see why, you know, he does deserve a good amount of blame. However, I wouldn't I wouldn't go to as far as he should be fired and he shouldn't. He's not a serviceable defensive coordinator because he's shown glimpses glimpses as a as a solid defensive coordinator when given, you know, the right personnel. However, I just feel like this is just a mixture of, you know, bad personnel along with, you know, bad bad play calling at times. And then it's just at the end of the day, if it, if this continues, then yeah, you got to start questioning Aaron Glenn. But how, however, I just think right now, I don't think you really can question him as much due to the personnel and due to the players he has on the field. Moving on, the New York Jets head into Pittsburgh, head into Pittsburgh and absolutely steal a game from the Steelers. Time to give my non-biased take on this. Grading Zach Wilson's return, honestly, he looked relatively solid in his first game back. I didn't expect him to go all out. I didn't expect him to, you know, perform at a high level. However, this was his first game, and it was like really, I was really intrigued to see how he performs. And he he made some big throws, especially when it seemed like the Jets were out of it. There was a point when you know they were they would be in third and long, and then Steelers, you know, Eckersher. No, I'm gonna call it Heinz Field. Heinz Field was absolutely rocking, and it was third and long, and it was twenty to ten in the fourth quarter, and it seemed all right. This is where the Jets, you know, fumble the game away, and this is where they lose it. However, Zach Wilson stood in there and made some absolutely clutch throws and led the Jets to a comeback win over the Pittsburgh Steelers when it seemed like you know the game was tilting in Pittsburgh's favor due to a Certain switch they made at halftime, which we'll talk in, talk about in a bit. However, on Zach Wilson, it's just really a mixed a mixed debut, uh, uh, a mixed debut to the season. You know, some of the concerns we had with him um, last season really came to light this game. However, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna jump the gun here and basically say he hasn't made improvements because this is his first game back. He hasn't played football in over you know in over a year, like a real game. So I'm not. But like for his first game, he looked relatively solid. However. He did throw two picks, but I'm just going to say the first one was his fault. You know, it was kind of a bad read. It's 10-3. to 3. It's towards the end of the first half. He didn't really need to force it. And then the second one, it was just, you know, it went right through the receiver's hands. You really can't blame Zach Wilson for that. However, overall, Zach Wilson, I, th- I feel like, had a relatively solid day. There's still some question marks that he hasn't answered from last season. However, it's his first game back, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And then on the other side of the ball, this was arguably one of the biggest news of the week. Kenny Pickett makes his debut. And, uh, and it's just... This whole situation has been really confusing. So, Trubisky had a rough start to the first half. You know, there's no sugarcoating around it. This offense has struggled without him. It was just a matter of when, not if, Kenny, um, will Kenny Pickett start for the Pittsburgh Steelers this season. And then, I just don't understand because I don't get what Mitch Trubisky showed. Like, I don't get why Tomlin made the switch now when he could have made it after the Browns game, because it didn't, it didn't seem like Trubisky showed, it didn't seem like he played worse, it just, this was how this offense has been the past couple weeks, I just don't get why they waited this long, and they didn't even give Kenny Pickett, like, any heads up, it wasn't until halftime he told him, oh, you're going in, but that's just the entire situation that we can talk about in another time, however, let's just talk about Kenny Pickett's debut, in my opinion, he had a mixed debut, you know, he was thrown into fire, as we, as I said earlier, and you know, looking at the pros, he had some really, he looked solid with his throws, was more aggressive, more accurate than Mitch Trubisky, and then the negatives, which is going to come with a rookie QB who is going to go through growing pains, and it's going to be really frustrating at times, however, this is what you're going to get with Kenny Pick, you're going to have the highs, you're going to have the lows, and there were definitely lows in this game, he threw three interceptions, you know, there's always a debate, were they really his fault, however, the way I look at it, it's it's a mix of both, you know, the, going through the first interception. Yeah, I get, I get. you know, 
Chase Claypool, you know, 6'5 receiver on a 5'8 defensive back. I get why. However, he was double covered. The safety was there. He kind of underthrew it. So you can argue that's kind of Pickett's fault. The second interception, was he thrown away? Was he not? I don't know. But, you know, you'd want him to just, you know, erase all doubt and just throw it away, you know, completely. And then his third one was the Hail Mary. You can't really judge him. However, PFF had him with zero turnover worthy plays. So take that for what you will. Overall, it was a mixed debut. However, for what he was thrown into, I feel like he did relatively well. And, you know, right now, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, you just got to ride with Kenny Pickett. Regardless, you got through the lows, through the highs, you got to ride with him. And arguably, you know, and which is considered a lost season, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially considering the gauntlet you have upcoming, you just got to ride with Pickett, man. Your your focus has, I mean, Steelers don't do this, but the focus is, arguably, the focus is probably going to be towards next year. And you'd rather have Kenny Pickett go through the growing pains in a year that doesn't matter instead of him, you know, going through it in the upcoming years when you're expected to contend. But yeah, Jets come out with a win. They are undefeated on the road. They've, they're 2-0 and on the road for the first time, and I forgot the exact stat, but for a while. But the Jets get their win. Zach Wilson returns, and Kenny Pickett. It's Kenny Pickett time in Pittsburgh. We'll see what that leads for both teams. Moving on to the next game, Bears-Giants. Giants win 20-12. to The game went as expected. A boring, low-scoring game. Justin Fields, update, still sucks. And, you know, the Giants are 3-1. and Who would have thought? They, didn't, they haven't done anything special, yet they're 3-1. and And it's just, yeah, nothing else to say about this game. Moving on to the next game. The Titans beat the, ten, the Indianapolis Colts 24-17 in Lucas Oil Stadium. And just like that, the Titans are 2-2 two two with a divisional win over the Indianapolis Colts. And I feel like the biggest reason why is due to the fact that they're feeding Henry. When, when Henry does good... The offense does good. It's no other way to put it. When the offense does good, Tennessee does good. It's no, they haven't won in any other way. I haven't seen them win in any other way. When Henry's bad, they suck. It's as simple as that. But when, you know, Henry's doing his thing, Tennessee is a, let's just put it at a playoff contender. That's really the best way to put it. And I feel like Tennessee is so reliant on Derrick Henry. It's, if he goes down with an injury, they're done this year. It's not going to be like last year where they can, you know, get that one seed. However, I do believe they they just rely on Henry too much. Let's just leave it at that. It's when Henry does good, Tennessee does good. When Henry does bad, Tennessee does bad. And Derrick Henry did good, and they came out with a huge win over the Indianapolis Colts. As for Indianapolis, Frank Reich is C is hotter than ever. Something needs to give. Jonathan Taylor, you need to get him going. I know he's dealing with an injury now. However, before he was injured, 20 carries, 42 yards. It ain't going to cut it for the best running back in the league. And Matt Ryan experiment hasn't worked, and it's it hasn't it just hasn't gotten better. And I don't know. It's Where do the Colts go from here? I really don't know. They've invested so much into Matt Ryan to where I feel like if he doesn't work out, then the Colts are really in a really, really terrible position. Anyways, moving on to the next next game. The Los Angeles Chargers finally get back in the win column, beating the Houston Texans 34-24. Not much to say in this game other than the Chargers got a much-needed win. This really went as we expected. The offense did their thing. Defensively, they were relatively solid. They bounced back after an embarrassing loss to the Jaguars. And Austin Eckler finally got things going with two touchdowns. Herbert starting to look like his old self. And, you know, from the other, from the other side of the football, Texans with yet another competitive loss. They're 0-2-1 right now. I got to give them respect. You know, honestly, 0-2-1, yet they're still exceeding expectations. They've been competitive. They're really like a play or two away from, you know, being arguably 2-2, two and two, arguably 3-1. and one. It's just, I got to give credit where credit's due. I wasn't a fan, big fan of the hire of Lovey Smith. However, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't like done anything out of the, out of the ordinary. However, he's just exceeded expectations. This team is more competitive than I thought they'd be. And, 
you know, kudos to them for that. Moving on to the next game, though. The Browns lost to... The the Falcons get an upset win over the Cleveland Browns, 23-20, to in a game in which both quarterbacks struggled. Jacoby Brissett, we've been praising him on this podcast week in and week out. However, he struggled this game. He went 21 for 35 with 234 yards, zero touchdowns, and one interception. And on the other side of the football, the starting QB struggled as well. Marcus Mariota went 7 for 19, 139 yards, and zero touchdowns, and an interception as well. However, the main name of this game was the run game. The run game led the way for both teams. Browns had 177 total rushing yards. The Falcons had 202. The Browns were led by Nick Chubb. Falcons was more a committee approach, especially after Cordero Patterson was limited due to injury. And then ultimately, the way I look at it, penalties was the deciding factor. The Falcons were the more disciplined team. The Browns had seven penalties for 51 yards, whereas the Falcons had one for 15 yards. And ultimately, I feel like that was the deciding factor in this game. And just like that, the Falcons are 2-2, two two, riding a two-game winning streak. They have been really competitive this season. I gave kudos to the Texans. The Falcons are dressed as well. You know, they were arguably like the worst roster on the team if you look at it on paper before the season began. However, they've surprised many and they have been really competitive. So you got to give credit where credit is due. And Arthur Smith has done a relatively great job out in Atlanta. And surprisingly enough, they've done this without, you know, Kyle Pitts doing anything. Kyle Pitts has not, not performed as expected this season. And for the Falcons to still be two and two and competitive in almost all the all four games, that that's that's impressive. That's impressive. Imagine once they get Kyle Pitts going and they get Cordell Patterson back, who is going to be out for four weeks after you know injury uh, after injuring himself, as I said earlier. Anyways, moving on to the next game, the Washington Commanders head into Dallas and needing a win, and the Dallas Cowboys come out with a victory, beating the Washington Commanders twenty-five to ten. Cooper Rush is 4-0 as a starter, 3-0 this year. Is there QB controversy in Dallas? My opinion on this, I think you got to stick with Cooper Rush if you're Dallas. The reason being, Cooper Rush has won you games. The offense has looked relatively solid with him at the helm. And I feel like if you bring in Dak Prescott, especially right now, when you're rushing him back after a hand injury, I feel like you just ruin the momentum that this offense has. And I feel like you got to ride with Cooper Rush until he gives you a reason not to. That is why that that's my opinion on this. Whatever you guys think, let me know. I'm open. I'm open to debating this. However, I think the Dallas Cowboys need to stick with Cooper Rush for the time being. Other than that, the game really, you know, nothing much really happened. Other than Ron Rivera, you know, his seat just got hotter. Carson Wentz experiment isn't working as well as Washington expected it, and so on. Moving on to the next game, the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Jacksonville Jaguars at home, 29 to 21. Although it wasn't pretty, the Eagles are still 4-0. You know, they found a way to win a game when they were struggling. The Jaguars, surprisingly enough, jumped out to a 14-0 lead in the beginning. And then the Eagles just took care of business after that, outscoring them 29-7 the rest of the game. And they were led by their defense. You know, they wrecked havoc on this Jaguars offense. Four forced fumbles, an interception, four sacks. And they simply just did not give Trevor Lawrence any time in the pocket. They just made life living hell for him. And... When the offense was down, the Eagles, the Eagles defense stepped up, and that's a sign of a good team. Philadelphia, even when their offense wasn't doing all that, their defense stepped up, led them to the win, and they're gonna, there's going to be games when this Eagles offense struggles and they don't perform the way they did, which, ironically enough, they scored 29 points in a game they struggled. That says a lot about the type of offense they have. Anyways... That defense, you got to give credit. You have to. I, I give them a big shout out. When this Eagles offense was down, they they stepped up and they stepped up to the plate and absolutely took care of business and arguably led them to a victory over the Jacksonville Jaguars. As for Jacksonville, only positive. You know, you, yeah, you lost the game. However, 
you were really competitive with arguably the best team in the NFL right now after the Buffalo Bills, arguably. I mean, you're, you're with the best NFC team. And that's really a positive you can take because Jacksonville, you know, they look re- they look relatively solid this year. And it looks like, you know, they, they may be the favorites out in AFC South right now. Moving on to the next game, however. The Bills sneak one out against the Baltimore Ravens, 23-20. to Who would have thought? But this game wound up being a defensive battle. Sure, it was raining, but like still, you expect both offenses, especially especially the Baltimore Ravens offense, a team that's you know relatively well known for their run. Arguably, that's their strength, and they really struggled, especially in that second half. But you know, I'm really surprised because the Bills, Bills, we it's no sugarcoating. They've been dealing with injuries, and then on the other side, Ravens defense has been dealing with injuries, and for this to be as low scoring as it was, I was relatively surprised. But let's talk about this from the Ravens' offense especially. You know, you think, as I said, they run first offense, that this would be the perfect scenario. A, a rainy day, you're up 20-3, to three, and second half all you got to do is manage the game well, run the clock, and just do what you do well. Just run the football. However, that's not what they did. And at the end of the day, you got to give props to this Bills defense. They shut out this Baltimore offense, this high-powered Baltimore offense, and they got key stops throughout the second half, and especially in the red zone when they forced a turnover on downs at the two at the end of the tur- at the end of the fourth, for example, which turned out to be the deciding factor. It's just plays like that really led ball- Buffalo to this win. And then similar to the Philadelphia Eagles, this is a sign of a good team when the offense is struggling, the defense picks up the slack, and they find more than one way to win even when their team is not at their best. And that's what Buffalo did against a really really good Baltimore Ravens team. Which and then. There's this question that, like, you know, that needs to be raised. Is it concerning that Baltimore has blown two double-digit leads in the second half this season so far? First Miami, then Buffalo. I find it kind of concerning that Baltimore has ultimately, you know, fallen off in the second half of games, especially considering, as I said multiple times earlier, their biggest strength is the run. You would think that would be perfect case scenario for them and that they would, you know, once they have a league in the second half, good luck getting, getting it back because... They can run the ball. They do that effectively well. They have the best, you know, rushing QB, the best, one of the best run games in the in the league. And you think, you know, that's it. That's all they need. However, their fall off in the second half has been really concerning because they've blown big leads against the Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins. I think the Miami Dolphin one was thirty-five to fourteen, and the Buffalo Bills one was twenty to three. It's I'd, I'd be really concerned if I'm a Baltimore fan. You know, you play so well in the first half. And then you really fall off in the second half, and you got punished against two really good teams. And now you're two and two, and a and for a team that's really really good like the Buff- like the Baltimore Ravens, I feel like two and two does not really re- exact accurately represent the type of team that Baltimore is. However, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do about their second half woes because they got to fix something if they want to be contenders in the AFC. Moving on to the next game, the Arizona Cardinals beat the Panthers in what was just a you know a meh game, twenty five to sixteen. Cardinals get their second win of the season. Panthers fall to one and three. Takeaways from this game: Matt Rule stinks. Baker Mayfield still sucks. Won't be surprised if you know Matt Rule is fired midseason with the way this team with the way the season is playing out, and that the Panthers may end up with the worst record if they stick with Matt Rule because it doesn't seem like it's going to get better. You can't bring in a rookie like Matt Corral. You already know PJ Walker, you know, arguably, you know, he's not going to do any better. Sam Darnold isn't for sure going to do anything better. Panthers are really screwed, and they're only going to go as far as their defense takes them. And the defense did what they could, man, honestly. They did everything they could, yet this offense is really struggling. And I really don't know what it is because they kind of got DJ Moore more involved. However, this offense still struggled, and I don't know what it is. 
They're just very terribly coached. And I, as I said, I won't be surprised if Matt Rule is fired midseason at this point, especially with the way the season's playing out. Moving on to the next game. The Denver Broncos lose a AFC West Divisional battle against the Las Vegas Raiders 32-23. This was an absolute must-win game for the Las Vegas Raiders, and they did just that. And, you know, let's start looking at this game from the Denver Broncos' point of view. Russell Wilson still cooked, you know. All the all the hate he's been getting, he 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 actually stepped up and played relatively well despite a loss. So you gotta give him credit where credit's due. He's been, you know, on the receiving end of a ton of flag. And, you know, when he does good, you gotta praise him. 17 for 25, 237 yards, two touchdowns, and zero picks. He did what the Denver Broncos brought him in to do. However, defensively, they didn't it's it's weird. Once this offense started to do a bit better, the defense, you know, kind of gave, kind of let up what you know, kind of let up. No other way to put it. And the Broncos just need to find that right mix of offense and defense and pair that two together. Once they do, they'll be a really good team in the AFC. However, right now, I don't know whether it's coaching, whether it's personnel, you know, the injuries that they're dealing with, as we said earlier, Javante Williams, Randy Gregory. It's going to be really interesting to see this Broncos team once they figure out, because if they do, they're arguably one of the best teams in the AFC. And then speaking of Javante Williams, let's just quickly go over the impact of Javante Williams' injury. My opinions on this, it's a brutal blow to, it's a brutal blow to this Broncos offense. Javante Williams heading into the season was expected to take over that lead workhorse role out in Denver and he, yeah, he was in a split. However, I feel like he was slowly but surely going to get that top spot. And now, you know, it's really unfortunate to see a young player like Javante Williams get hurt because he had all the potential in the world, he had all the talent in the world. And this is going to be a brutal blow to this Broncos offense because yeah, you have Melvin Gordon. However, you know, I have concerns with Melvin Gordon, especially with his ball security issues. He fumbles the ball almost every, you know, other carry. So it's going to be really concerning to see this Denver offense without Javante Williams. However, Melvin Gordon is still a relative, relatively solid back. However, I don't think he's the workhorse that he once was. They did bring in Latavius Murray. However, I don't think that's going to make up for the absence of Javante Williams. And I feel like Javante Williams' absence is going to be, you know, is really more significant than what people are are accounting it for. And, the, and Denver is going to find that out real soon. That is my opinion on that. All right, moving on to the next game. The New England Patriots almost sneak out a win at Lambeau Field, losing in an overtime to the Green Bay Packers 27-24. to Surprisingly enough, the Pets were competitive. And you can argue that was mainly due to their defense, keeping them in the game. You know, um, they got a pick six. You know, they they relatively kept this Packers offense in check best to the best of their abilities. And offensively, I feel like what really killed them was they were really conservative. I get the reason being, you know, you're starting their third string quarterback who really wasn't getting reps as a starter throughout the week. And yet, you know, Bailey Zapp, he was known heading, in, heading into the NFL as, you know, a guy that likes to sling the rock. I feel like if you really have nothing to lose if you're New England. I mean, if you were just a bit more aggressive with Bailey Zapp, would this game have had a different outcome? Probably. But, you know, you really never know if you didn't try, and I feel like that's really what hurt the Patriots this game. I feel like if they were a bit more aggressive, they arguably could have came out with the upset win. But ultimately, at the end of the day, experience and talent showed out as Rodgers showed why he's still one of the best QBs in the league, leading the Packers to a game-winning drive. The game would have been over um, in regulation if Romeo Dubes, R- Romeo Dobbs, Dubes, I don't know how to say his name. If he caught that touchdown pass, however, you know, they still came out with the win. So, you know, all is well in, out in Green Bay, who are now 3-1 and one after a 
their usual, their yearly fluke in week one. But anyways, that's that's that. You know, heading into the primetime games, Chiefs get their revenge over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, beating them with a score of 41 to 31. Patrick Mahomes, man, he's out to prove everyone wrong this year. After the Tyree Kill trade, people were wondering if Patrick Mahomes will be the same QB. However, he's looked like a completely different player. He's stepped up in a big way this season. I feel like this offense looks more balanced without Tyreek, and Mahomes is just spreading the ball out. And I feel like that not only does that benefit this Chiefs offense, but that benefits Mahomes because now he's not really forcing it to Tyreek Hill into like double coverage. We've seen last season when he would do that at times, and teams would ultimately, you know, figure him out. And they this offense is like you don't know what to expect anymore. This offense isn't as predictable as it was last year. I'm not saying this Chiefs offense was predictable last year. However, it's 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 not like last year where it was just Tyreek, Travis Kelsey, and really no one else. This year, it's more of like, it's a more balanced effort. As I said, eight different receivers got a catch to put it into perspective. Ten different receivers got targets. It really goes to show the type of unpredictable nature that Kansas City Chiefs have in their offense now. And that was due to the fact, you know, due to the fact that they don't really rely on one player, whereas they rely on multiple players to get the job done. And I feel like that that has really helped Mahomes and this Kansas City Chiefs offense. On the other side of the ball, I feel like there's concerns around Tampa Bay. You know, they're an old team that just doesn't look the same as they've looked in previous years. And the reason why I'm really concerned is because they got all their guys back offensively. However, they still struggled. They had Fournette. They had their four top, top four receivers. No, top yeah, top three receivers and Mike Evans, Godwin, and Julio. Yet they still struggled against the Kansas City Chiefs, and I don't know. I feel like this was this was the game where they could have showed out, showed that they're still a relatively solid team. They're probably still going to win the NFC South because that division really stinks. However, I'm not really convinced that Tampa Bay can make noise unless something changes. And I feel like Father Time has really caught up to the, not not Tom Brady, but like to this offense as a whole because it's filled with a bunch of you know. Older veterans such as Julio, Mike Evans is still doing his thing. Chris Godwin is just, you know, a play away from getting out for a couple weeks. It's just really, it's not an offense that I can see succeeding throughout the course of the season. And it's going to be really concerning for Tampa Bay. But, you know, luckily for them, they have an easy division. I still think they're going to make playoffs. However, I don't think they're a contender in a relatively weak NFC. But moving on to the next and final game. The Monday Night Football game between the Los Angeles Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners just owned the Rams. They beat them 24-9. The concerns we had with the Rams came to light once again with their terrible offensive line play. Just absolutely giving Stafford no time. And speaking of Matthew Stafford, he just looks like a shell of his former self. Is it, is it his elbow injury? I don't know. However, he just really hasn't looked the same. You know, he's looked really one-dimensional looking at Cooper Cup. And, you know... In my opinion, I feel like this Rams offense won't succeed until they get everyone involved. And that's not just saying Allen Robinson. It's, you know, getting your run game, Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson. Because right now the Ram off- Rams offense is just Cooper Cup and whatever he gets. And that, that's really not going to be successful in in, uh, in the NFL nowadays, especially once the Rams figure out how to, uh, once the NFL figures out how to stop Cooper Cup. However, I feel like this offense will start succeeding, A, when this offensive line just is average. And B, if Stafford, you know, spreads the ball out and multiple players contribute, whereas, you know, right now they just have one player and Cooper Cup just doing everything. And I feel like that's not the recipe to success. Sure, that can be that can get you a few wins, you know, as we've seen against the Falcons and against the Cardinals. However, you know, against good teams like the Niners, 
you just need you need other players other than Cooper Cup because we've seen once they doubled them, the the Rams offense really like fell off. So basically, I just feel like if if the Rams are gonna you know have any shot at repeating this year, they need to fix something offensively, and I feel like that needs to be getting the other players more involved. However, you got to give credit where credit's due. Once again, the Niners' defense looked amazing this game. Seven sacks, one forced fumble, one pick six, and they just absolutely pressured Stafford all game, and they really did not give him any time to, you know, get into a rhythm, get into a groove, and ultimately we've seen that, how much it affected Matthew Stafford and in, in his performance, and that ultimately really limited this Rams' offense, limiting them to just three field goals, which is really impressive. And then, you know, you got to give a shout-out to, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure I'm going to say his name wrong, but Telenoa Hufanga. However, he had himself a great game. He had himself a pick six, was all over the field like he usually is. And then, you know, if you look at it overall, he's quietly having himself a solid season. Two interceptions, five tackles for a loss as a safety, 57 total tackles. The man is all over the field, and he reminds me, and yes, you know, hair may play a factor in this, but Troy Palomalu, you know, he's he has the looks, he has the explosibility, the... IQ of when to like guess the snap you know there was this play against Denver where I seen it like really reminded me of Palomalo and his offseason training with Palomalo is really paying dividends and he's really looking like the player that we we've seen in Troy Palomalo and you know you got to give a special shout out to him he has looked really really good for the San Francisco 49ers this season however that wraps up this segment uh that is the game by game key takeaways moving on to the next segment studs and duds of the week starting us off Rashad Penny, 17 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns. I spoke about him earlier. Average nearly a first down per carry. That kind of says the game that he had. And then on the other side of the ball, TJ Hawkinson, eight receptions, 179 yards, and two touchdowns. Stepped up in the void left by Amandre St. Brown in the receiving end. And he did all he could trying to lead the Lions to win. However, as we said, their defense sucks up. And the Seahawks just scored again. Anyways, Debo Samuel, you got He's the third and final stud of the week. Six receptions, 115 yards, and a touchdown. Specifically, wanted to mention that play where he broke like five tackles and took took it the distance, 57 yards, and got that touchdown. And you know, just, he did Debo Samuel things, and he's just a he's just a star, man. And then on the other end, duds of the week. Terry McLaurin for the Washington Commanders, two receptions, 15 yards. Baker Mayfield, who absolutely stinks, 197 yards, 22 for 36, a touchdown and two interceptions. He was just really inaccurate the whole game, specifically out over, overthrowing guys like DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and so on. He's a dud of the week. And then Matthew Stafford, 32 for 48, 252, 254 yards, zero touchdowns and an interception. The Rams paid significant assets to get you. They've given you a huge contract. And for you to perform like this, now nah, that ain't going to cut it. You know, he is he is the dud of, he is one of the three duds of the week. And then finally, this final segment, Thursday night uh, quick look ahead. Taking a quick look ahead to Thursday night football. Indianapolis Colts head into Denver to go up against the Denver Broncos. Injury news, Shaquille Leonard already ruled out. Jonathan Taylor is questionable with an ankle injury. Russell Wilson came out a bit dinged up according to Nathaniel Hackett. However, I still expect him to play. And as we said, Javante Williams and Randy Gregory will be missing this game as well. And then overall, looking at this matchup, these are two teams who haven't really performed up to expectations. This is a game where both teams really will look out, will look to put a statement out that they are still contenders for the playoffs in the AFC. And then if you look at it from a Colts perspective, I feel like this is a must win for the Colts. You're 1-2-1. The AFC South is containing, you know, a really competitive Jacksonville Jaguars team, an up-and-coming team. And then the Tennessee Titans, who practically own you guys for now. 
However, I just think that if the Colts want to have any shot at competing in the AFC South division, who would have thought, you know, they need they need to do good. However, here we are. I feel like they, this is a must win for the Colts they need to prove that they are amongst the playoff contenders in the AFC. And as for Denver, they're coming off another loss. I feel like they need to put in a performance at home. They need to keep up with it. You need they need to look more consistent on the offensive side of the ball. And I'm really intrigued to see how this running game performs without Javante Williams and how this offense, how it really affects this offense. Um, defensively, I expect a bounce back game from the Denver Broncos, especially against a struggling offense like the Indianapolis Colts. And especially if Jonathan Taylor doesn't play, it's going to be a really long night for the Indianapolis Colts. However, the X factors of this game for the Indianapolis Colts, I'm going Matt Ryan. Especially if Jonathan Taylor is out, he's going to need to step up and kind of lead this Colts team to a victory. And I don't know if he has that in him. However, if he performs at a relatively high level, then the Colts, you know, will ultimately come out and win this game. And then on the other side of the ball, Denver Broncos, I have Melvin Gordon as my X Factor. Reason being, he is going to get more of a workhorse uh, workhorse role. And it's going to be really interesting to see if he takes care of the football better now that he's getting more carries. However, if he performs well, then this Denver offense really doesn't take a step back in the absence of Javante Williams, which means that the Denver Broncos would ultimately come out with the win, in my opinion. As for my predictions, I just think the Colts are just a mess right now. Denver having home field advantage, offense looked better, defense is better. I just feel like the Denver Broncos come out and win this game relatively comfortably, 27-17. to With that being said, that is it for this episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. If you guys did, I would really appreciate if you guys left a good review on Apple Podcast or Spotify or Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure to also follow us on Instagram and Twitter as well, at LacesOutNFL on Instagram, at LacesOutNFLPod on Twitter. That is it from my end. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Stay safe, stay well, and enjoy the rest of your week.